You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Our reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 5 to 14. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello. If you haven't met me before, my name's Coy. I'm the associate pastor here. It's so good to see you all on this lovely Sunday morning. Now, I want to start off actually with a question for you. What's the most hungry? When's the most hungry you've ever been? You know, I remember sometime uh, earlier this year, I was with my gospel community and we were out for dinner for a social and we went to a restaurant and uh, we ordered, we all ordered our dishes and then the time started to pass. So 30 minutes, you know, we started looking around at others, you know, getting their food. We're like, oh, that looks good. That looks great. And then 45 minutes would pass and you start looking like at the kitchen area, like doing this look, you know, you start looking at servers like, did you forget us? And then 60 minutes passed and we had to ask and they apologized. Sorry, you haven't got your food yet. Nearly 90 minutes later, we got our food. And it was so funny because, you know, it's a gospel community. So we're all Christian, right? So everyone in the first half of that time was all polite, gracious, making jokes. Like, oh, you didn't get your food. Eh? You haven't got yours too. Uh-uh. But in the last 45 minutes, <laughs> people started to change. <laughs> you know, people, people were starting to, you know, get a bit more snappy with each other. You know, nobody was cracking jokes. You were cracking jokes. Like, oh, you can get your food. It's like, you watch yourself. You know, people were just like a, a little antsy, right? You could tell everyone was just screaming inside internally, like, where is our food? So over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the signs of Jesus as seen in the Gospel of John. And today's sign is one that is quite well known. You know, for those who grew up in church, you've probably had a Sunday school class where you've learnt about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Even if you didn't, even if you didn't grow up in church, um, you probably heard it as one of Jesus' most popular miracles. And I think it's one of the most popular and well-known miracles of Jesus because it's not only mind-blowingly impossible, you know, intriguing because of the crazy nature of what he actually does. But popular, I think, because it's also something that anybody can imagine. Everybody knows the necessity of food. Everybody can relate to the feeling of hunger. People can picture what it means to be in a large crowd, you know, wanting something, hungry. It's one of those memorable signs that just sticks in the mind of everyone. A truly miraculous event 
But while quite a spectacle, the meaning behind the sign is what makes this miracle truly special. Because unlike most of the other signs, Jesus later on in this chapter, in chapter 6, actually explains the reasoning behind this sign, laying out his intention behind it all and what he hopes people would fully grasp from his miracle. And he does so by challenging the crowd as well as challenging us as readers today with the question, what are we most hungry for? And so I just I suggest what we see from this passage of Jesus' well-known sign here is four things. We see one, a food that perishes, two, a bread, oh sorry, a, a bread that perishes, two, a bread that is artificial, three, a bread that is better, and four, a bread that satisfies. See, after Jesus had shared about him being the son of God to his opponents in chapter five, which we heard last week, he's now made his way to the other side of Galilee where a huge crowd had followed him and after seeing and hearing about the signs that he had been doing. And while this crowd were rightly intrigued by what this miracle worker was doing, we see that from this eager crowd, they were about to witness another epic miracle, but one that will have them hungry for my first point, hungry for a bread that perishes. So you take a look at the beginning of chapter six. As the crowds had followed Jesus, Jesus had spent a day sharing and teaching them many, many things. We know this because while it doesn't say it in our John, uh, in John's gospel, in our passage, in the other three gospels, we're actually told in this same miracle that Jesus had actually you know, initially withdrawn to a solitary place. But the crowd who really desired to see him and hear from him followed. And as Matthew chapter 14 says, uh, Jesus had compassion on them healing them, teaching them. And this went all the way to evening. But with so many people there, it became so late and the people were hungry and the disciples were worried. Like, how would they feed this many people? Mind you, this was likely more than 5,000 people in those days because in those days they didn't actually record women and children um, in here. So the disciples were rightly thinking, how can we provide for 6,000, 7,000 odd mouths here to feed? So Jesus decides to test one of the disciples, Philip, asking him where they could buy the bread that people could eat. But Jesus asked this knowing what he was about to do. Jesus knew that they didn't have enough money to get this bread for this many people or probably didn't. there wasn't a bakery around that could even, you know, make this much bread in that short amount of time to, for this, to feed that many mouths. It was an impossible task in so many ways. But the test for Philip was did he have faith in what Jesus could do? Well, it looked like he didn't, but what likely would it would have likely changed after what he was about to witness. Upon a boy bringing five barley loaves of bread, practically or pretty much known as the poor man's bread in those days, and two fish. But while a sweet gesture, that amount wasn't going to fix the problem. Enter Jesus, the almighty son of God, who in verse 11 took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fuel, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Simply amazing. Not only did they have enough to fill every single belly, that every belly was full, but they had food left over. These are one of those miracles where you just wish you were there to witness and experience. Like you imagine what the crowd was feeling. And they were rightly gobsmacked, right? They said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. A right response, it seems. But while a right response, we find out a little further down in the chapter that they were still so far from fully grasping what had just happened. 
Because on the following day, some of the crowd went to follow Jesus, who had now traveled across the water to Capernaum. So Jesus had left this place and there was a small crowd of people that wanted to follow. And upon finding Jesus, Jesus tells them this in chapter 6, verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. Only when Jesus had left the feeding miracle and is met by the crowd again, do we actually find out how the people really responded to Jesus' miracle. That they weren't seeking Jesus, curious or intrigued by him from the sign he just performed, but they wanted to find him because they ate their fill of the loaves. In other words, they were seeking the gift over the giver. They wanted to find Jesus for more free food. For these people who had seen such an amazing miracle, it seems they were fixated on the wrong thing. They wanted to find Jesus because they desired the product of the miracle. Ate their fill of the loaves. It's like they're saying, like, like this guy just made bread and fish, you know, that, that's enough to feed thousands from a, a measly handful of items. Imagine what more he could give us. Maybe he could give us more food. Or if he could do this with food, he could probably do this with other things. You know, imagine he could multiply my $5 note and $2 coins into billions. You know, he could multiply my medicine, multiply my income, multiply my happiness. These people who had found Jesus again were hungry for one thing, bread that perishes, the material things of life. See, theologian R. Kent Hughes says, they liked the idea of a fish maker and bread baker, someone who, would, who could give them the material things they wanted. And Jesus knew this, basically telling them that they seek him only because they want full stomachs that the purpose in their looking for him was materially motivated. You want the things. You seek the product of the miracle, not the person of the miracle. And I think that's an age-old temptation for us as human beings to want things, desire things, and put materials above everything. Like at a young age, we're already, like as babies, seeing things and wanting them, grabbing it. You know, it comes naturally. And so even into adulthood, it's the same. Like I was just watching the news this recently, this week, which had a report talking about the billions of dollars we as Australians put into Black Friday sales, even showing clips of how crazy Black Friday gets in America where shops open their doors at like 9am and there's like a stampede of people rushing in, grabbing all sorts of stuff, grabbing, trying to grab a bargain, stomping on people, pushing people out of the way, fighting. I was, I was there shaking my head watching this report. But while I was watching this, I was on my phone, you know, on Amazon looking for, you know, Black Friday deals. There's some really good deals out there, right? Now, I think that material things in and of themselves aren't a bad thing. Like God has gifted us many things for our enjoyment and these things are often used for him or point us to him. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 13 says, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. But I think where the danger lies that Jesus is trying to point out here to the people who found him is when we look for meaning in these things, where what we mainly hunger for in life are things. That's what materialism essentially is, where we live for bread that perishes. We feel like our materials are what satisfy the soul. We desire and hunger for the things that make us comfortable, well-off, rich, happy, full stomachs. And so we can make it our life's goal to 
acquire and accumulate as many possessions as we can. We feel our identity is tied to what we own and what we have. Feel like this bread, this big loaf of materialism is what sustains us, what keeps us from being hungry. But that is never the case. Think about it. Your best vacations must always be followed by another vacation. Your most scrumptious, exquisite meal still leaves you hungry eventually. You can wear the nicest, most fanciest clothes, but you'll never, but by next year you have new clothes. You could play the best game of your life in that sport league over the weekend, but the following week you play again. It's as C.S. Lewis, author and pastor said, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. That is the way it is with the best things in life. That which we think gives our lives so much meaning is never quite enough. What is often the case is that when, is that the more we think we're satisfied by things, the hunger for it increasingly grows. And what we'll find is we will ne- never actually be satisfied. We'll just want more of it. Maybe start to compare with others who do have more and, and wanting that. Or you own everything you want already and you feel a bit of emptiness because you see that it actually doesn't really fulfill. That's because these things were never meant to fulfill. But possessions are just that, things you possess. But one day, no matter who we are, we will no longer possess them. So they can't fulfill us. But it's not only materials, but other things too that could just as well be bread that perishes for us. Some people look for meaning in the loaf of sexuality. Some people crave for purpose in the loaf of ambition. Some people find their identity in the loaf of health. In other words, there are plenty of breads that people seek satisfaction and meaning, which ultimately give them neither. All earthly bread that offers a momentary fulfillment, momentary satisfaction. See, Charlie Duke was an astronaut for NASA who at the time was the youngest person ever to walk on the moon. And for most of his life, he had desire to go to space and walk on the moon. And he thought it would fulfill him, you know. But after he did and he came back, he felt a sense of emptiness. Even after doing something he had dreamed about for so long, something that most people dare not even dream of, until he found Jesus. He says this, walking on the moon was a great experience. I'll do it again but it doesn't leave you with peace. Money doesn't give you peace. I just had no peace in my life. But when I said, Jesus, come into my life, it was almost instant and I experienced the peace of God. You just know that you made the right decision. See, it says, C.S. Lewis, author, says so well in his well-known words, he says, it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So I think a good test for us is to think deeply about some of the things, the stuff that you love most and ask a few questions. Like, would you feel like your life can't go on if some, some things were taken away and couldn't, and you could never possess it again? Do you feel like your identity is tied to this thing that you own? Do you sense fulfillment if you were to obtain this item? 
are you most most satisfied when you use, think about, or have this thing? So if you answered yes to any of these, then perhaps you're hungering for the wrong thing. It's as author Anthony Salvaggio says of this crowd that followed Jesus, they do not ask for the bread of life, but the crumbs offered by this world. So we can understand why Jesus rebukes them because he wants them to see something far greater than just the crumbs. But while the the crowd had their eyes on the product of the miracle, they also had something in mind for the person of the miracle, for Jesus, because they saw what Jesus could do and they wanted to take him as their own. So what we see from this crowd is that they also desired a bread that is artificial, which is my next point. Because after they witnessed what Jesus had done with the loaves and the fish, we see how they dreamed of what Jesus could do for them. Look at verse 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now it's actually quite disturbing what is described here because after experiencing such an amazing miracle, some of the crowd wanted to come to Jesus and make him king, which sounds like they wanted to honour him and lift him up, but it actually wasn't like that at all because they wanted to forcibly do it. And they wanted to forcibly do it because they had an agenda to come get Jesus to be the king, but the king who would provide for them. This was not them coming to anoint their king because they wanted to be ruled by him, to surrender to him, but this was the people who wanted to use Jesus. They came to come to grab the miracle worker who has so much power to feed the 5,000 people. Imagine having him for a king, you know, being able to serve all our needs, having all our needs met. Imagine having him for a king. Nobody could stop us. Imagine having him for a king who could, who we could use for our defence against anyone. Imagine having him for a king and having all the power we want. Do you see what they actually desired here? They didn't want the true king in Jesus, somebody who they surrender and live under his reign. But they wanted a king who was moulded and shaped into how they wanted, one that would serve them and meet their every whim. They dreamed about what Jesus could do for them, how he could transform things in their life, give them what they want. Jesus seemed more as a bit of an an add-on to their life, you know, like a power-up that they could use, not seeing that they were hungering for a bread that was artificial. Artificial because it was made by them, bread that wasn't real but one that would keep them hungry because it wouldn't actually change what they should hunger for. See, what the crowd has essentially done is seen Jesus as someone who is useful to them. They went after him because they saw him as somebody who could do stuff for them. He could be useful for more food, useful for money, useful for needs, basically useful for their prosperity. Making Jesus king only because it means having full stomachs. And we see that plenty all around us with preachers who stand at the pulpit preaching a gospel that is all about the stuff, all about getting this, getting that, multiplying what you have, you know, because Jesus has the power to do so, using Jesus' power to promise luxuries in life. And we can just as easily do it too, lifting Jesus only up for what he can give us, worshipping him in hopes that he will actually give us what we want. But that completely misses the point. 
you know, because as author and pastor John Piper said, Jesus didn't come into the world to lend his power to already existing appetites. He didn't come here so that he could, he would enhance the bread that we already have. He didn't come here to satisfy our hunger for stuff by giving us more stuff. He didn't come down here to leave us untransformed in what we crave and simply adding, you know, the power of Jesus as a way of getting it. No, that is artificial bread, something we've made for ourselves. But there's nothing artificial about Jesus because he came down here to completely change our appetites, to transform what we hunger for, to not fill our stomachs, but to fill our entire lives with something better. But the crowd couldn't grasp this. And so it says that Jesus fled before they could force him to be this artificial king. You know, and so it's there that, as I said earlier, some people from the crowd went looking for Jesus, crossing the Sea of Galilee and finding him and being told that they only seek Jesus because they ate their fill. But that conversation Jesus had with them would reveal more of why he did this sign in the first place, why he fed the 5,000. That as Jesus dialogues with this crowd, these people from this crowd who are hungry for all the wrong things, he will let them know of a bread that is better, which is my next point. Because this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 has some clear callbacks to something that has happened in the past before. Because, the, because these people were Jewish, they would have known of the stories of their ancestors, right? The Israelites, who for a long time journeyed the wilderness after being delivered from the bondage in Egypt, as seen in the book of Exodus, as we see in the Bible. And there was a key, this was a key story. There was a key story from their history that would have likely passed down the generations. Where in Exodus 16, we read of God providing manna, which was bread from the skies for the Israelites as they were desperately hungry, where all the Israelites are, are fed well, you know, gathering as much manna as they could eat. It was a huge part of their history and story, depicting the, the wonderful grace of God and how he would once again, as he so often did, provide for his people. And so the people in the crowd saw what Jesus had done and had callbacks to this event remembering God's word that one day another prophet would come like Moses. Where in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So the crowd who experienced this miracle of bread appearing and feeding the masses believed that Jesus was the prophet, that Jesus was the one promised by Moses in the Bible which is why you hear them say in verse 14 of the miracle, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. And they were correct. Jesus was the promised prophet to come after Moses. But these people who experienced Jesus' miracle didn't fully understand what it meant for Jesus to be the promised prophet. Because look in chapter 6, verse 30, it says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, what Jesus is telling them here is, yes, I am the prophet like Moses, 
but don't hold on to that, that comparison too tightly. I'm like him, but I'm so much more. See, the, the crowd didn't have a really great understanding of the manna story because they thought it was Moses who gave them, gave their fathers the bread, but it was God who did it. God, who is the creator of the universe, also the creator of manna and barley, graciously giving it to his people in the wilderness as they were hungry and had barely any food. But Jesus not only corrects the crowd here by telling him that it was, by telling them it was God, not Moses, but he tells them something new and something profound, saying, now it was him who is giving it. Jesus. Jesus is now giving the miracle bread. Jesus is telling the crowd, just as God had multiplied the manna given to his people all those centuries ago, so too I with the five barley loaves. See, Jesus is telling the crowd that he is doing what God has done. And what he's doing is even greater than what the Israelites experienced in that wilderness. Because Jesus isn't giving them the bread that gives life as seen in the wilderness where the bread was given to them so that they could live. But Jesus says he is the bread of life. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, the crowd had already seen Jesus' power in the feeding of the 5,000, but they hadn't fully seen what his power will be used for as he will fill multitudes throughout history as the bread of life. Jesus is prepping the crowd. Actually, Jesus is also prepping us as readers that whatever bread we may think we hunger for, there is bread that is much better, something far greater, far greater because look at what Jesus says in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Instead of hungering or being satisfied with bread that perishes, Jesus tells them to crave for bread that endures, one that is everlasting. And note the crowd's response. Jesus, how can we work for this everlasting bread? Jesus, how can we obtain? How can we obtain this bread? Jesus, how can we earn this bread? You know, me being from an Asian background, there's something that very commonly happens amongst my parent generation is whenever a big family is gathered together or a group of friends are eating out, 100% the parents will always fight for the bill. Like either a mum or an auntie, they will just straight up like find sneaky ways to go pay for the bills. Like, I'm just going to go to the toilet and bam, they pay for the bill. Or they'll just go... They were actually, I've actually seen a family that almost got into a physical fist fight because they wanted to pay for the bill, right? Their logic is, we brought you out here, so we're going to shout you a free meal. So it's insulting if you pay for this meal. You better not pay for our meal, right? That's basically what it was like. Receive this gift, please. And just like that, we often go throughout life trying to pay for a free meal, insulting the Lord. But Jesus tells the crowd, All this is the work of God. You just need to believe, to have faith in God who has sent him. 
the bread that endures, the food that is everlasting, is freely given. Not worked for, not earned, not needing us to cover the charges, but a free meal gifted to you. One that you can receive freely. It comes through belief. You do not pay for it yourself. See, this crowd have thought about working and working constantly. You know, we gotta work, we gotta go find Jesus. We gotta seek him, wanting to crown him, wanting him because he was useful to, to, useful to them, constantly hungering for all sorts of things and laboring to satisfy these cravings. And so Jesus tells them, stop laboring this way, but simply have faith. Standing right there in front of them was the bread of life freely offering himself to them. And that is for us as readers to hear too. All the things we hunger for in life. Notice that these things are all things we have to constantly work for. Have to labor hard for. Look, if you hunger for the comfortable life, you have to work hard to get finances to reach that point in your life. If you hunger for the perfect family, you have to work hard into controlling as many aspects of your children's and spouse's lives as you can. If you hunger for reputation and fame, you have to work hard in forming a good image of yourself. All these things that people, that we crave for, desire for, hunger for, these breads will require great labor. And yet, all will perish. But Jesus tells us of a bread that is far better than any bread that we could want. One that isn't work, uh, earned, isn't worked for, but out of grace, freely given. There's something so profound about what Jesus says here, because looking back throughout all history, when we think about bread, right, it's always something that provides, always been known as something that provides sustenance for humans. But it's also something that's always you know, thought about as to be worked for. Think of all the olden time movies that you may have seen, you know, where bread is being sold on the street. Like imagine like the Godfather, bread's there to be bought. We think of Aladdin who has to steal food, has to steal bread just because he can't pay for it. Even today, the common slang term is to go get that bread, right? Which means to go go hard, go uh, work hard and be successful, get that money so you can afford that bread. And somebody also told me from the 9 a.m., but also the term that money is often referred to as dough right? They're often associated. It's always associated with work. But the only instances in history that we can think about bread not being worked for, not being earned, is in the Exodus story, where the manna literally fell from heaven out of the grace of God. And here today, the bread that endures, the bread of life. And the thing about the, thing about the Exodus manna story and why I say it was out of the grace of God that they received that bread wasn't because they were hungry and needed nourishment, but it was a display of God's clear grace because God's people weren't just hungry in that story, but they were complaining. They were grumbling in all the worst ways possible. They were saying things like, oh, we prefer to go back to Egypt. Just let us go back there. It's so hard out here. They were saying they wanted to die out there because it was just so hard out in the wilderness. They were saying this to the God who had just delivered them from slavery. 
had rescued them from the bondages of a life owned by Pharaoh. And yet in their selfishness, in their dishonoring, in their sinfulness, they craved for something else over the God who had delivered them. They hungered for all the crumbs of life. So it was by God's grace amidst the sinfulness of man that he gave them what they needed, bread from the skies that would feed them, bread that would sustain them, bread that would satisfy them. And yet after giving them what they wanted, God's people would still go on and crave other things, still disobey and choose sin over God as we see in the story of the Bible, which is why there was always going to be a bread that was truly better. There was always going to be a bread that would truly satisfy. Verse 47 of chapter 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. See, the good news of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is that he, the Son of God, came down to this world. He lived the perfect and righteous life, the life that we could not live. And because of our sin, all of our grumbling, just like the Israelites in the wilderness, all of our dishonoring, all of our desiring, perishing, artificial bread, we would be the ones who nailed him to that cross where he would die in our place, bearing the punishment that was rightly reserved for us. See, our sin literally broke the bread. But that wasn't the end because after three days, Jesus rose from death to life, doing so so that those who believe in him may also go from death to life. See, this bread of life stands freely available to everyone who will have him, who eat the bread of heaven and are satisfied. As Jesus says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. See, because bread is the staple depiction of what is essential in life, for life, you know, it's a nourishment, a need for all humans, right? It's food. Jesus is saying, as he gave his flesh on the cross, this is what is most essential to the world. He is the all-nourishing, all-satisfying bread by what he had accomplished on that cross to all sinners who believe. This is what we need. As our Kent Hughes says, Jesus is the bread of life. He is our sustenance. Apart from Christ, nothing satisfies. And Jesus satisfies because he wasn't there talking about the physical realms with the people in the crowd. But as we looked at what he said, he was talking about the spiritual. That as he says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. See, the point Jesus is making to us is that the Son of God has come into the world not to give you bread, but to be your bread. That is the only bread that truly satisfies. 
Because if history has taught us anything, it's that deep within every human's heart, there is a hunger for something bigger, a hunger for meaning, hunger for purpose, hunger for more. And it's true because the Bible tells us that God created us with eternity in mind, that, that this right now, what we're seeing, what we see all around us, isn't all that there is. You know, but as Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Our deep longing, deep hunger is for something more. And only Jesus, the bread of life, can satisfy it because only Jesus gets us there. As Romans 6.23 tells us, it is not by our own doing. We can't earn this bread that endures. We can't earn eternity. Can't work for it like the people from the crowd thought they could. But we simply receive it. By the free grace of Jesus Christ. By believing in him. Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. See, the human problem is that you and I have so many desires that can never be fulfilled. No matter what you do, you want the bread that fades. It never fully satisfies. It's gone when you're gone. Or you want the bread that's fake, you know, leaving you feeling empty or still hungering for something more. But Jesus wants you to know that there is a bread that is better a bread that endures, a bread that satisfies. And Jesus encourages us to come and feed on him. That the bread he is offering is more than bread. But as author Gary M. Burge says, it is life itself hidden in Jesus' sacrificed life. So the question to you is, do you hunger for the bread that endures? You know, as I close, the thing about bread is for bread to fully satisfy, it means it has to be real to you, right? Like there's a big difference. Everyone will know this. There's a big difference between imagining that big turkey sandwich while you're out on a long hike compared to actually taking a bite of that actual turkey sandwich. Like I'm imagining it right now. I really want one. I'm really hungry. And so we have to ask ourselves, you have to ask yourself, is the bread of life so real to you that you can say it truly satisfies. As theologian James Boyce says this, he says this so wonderfully. He says, is Jesus as real to you spiritually as something you can taste or handle? Is he as much a part of you as that which you eat? Do not think me blasphemous when I say that he must be as real and as useful to you as a hamburger and French fries. I say this because although he is obviously far more real and useful than these, the unfortunate thing is that for many people, he is much less. So looking at your life, is Jesus, the bread of life, real to you? Is he as real as the bread that you make for breakfast or lunch? Is he as real as that moment that you're so hungry because you haven't eaten all day and you take that first bite of that delicious meal? You know, there's somebody I knew from Bible college who would pray and talk to Jesus in almost everything that he does. You know, when he's looking for a car park, he would ask the Lord for a park. When he was washing dishes, he'd be singing hymns. When he didn't get what he wanted, he'd thank Jesus no matter what. I used to think he was a bit odd. But the more I saw him, the more I, uh, I saw this man, I saw that this was a man who saw Jesus as real in his life. That he hungered, he craved for Jesus every day in everything, every morning. Jesus can only truly satisfy you 
when he's real to you? Is Jesus in your life? Is he somebody you crave and hunger for when you wake up or when you go to bed? Do you hunger for his word, hearing what he has to say to you? Do you crave a relationship with him, praying and talking with him constantly? See, when the people from the crowd heard Jesus tell them that the bread of God comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, you know what their response was? They they responded in eagerness to Jesus with the word, Sir, give us this bread always. And, you know, we are in a better position than these people in the crowd because we actually know what Jesus meant by all that he said because we know what he's done on the cross, that he really is the bread of life. How much more should we respond like those in the crowd, going to Jesus and asking, Lord, give us this bread always. So will you eat and live? For as Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for being the bread of life, the bread that endures promising eternal life for all who feed on you. And we ask that you help us, uh, protect us from the temptations to desire so much less. Lord, help us to not settle for the crumbs of this world, but for the everlasting joy that comes from the enduring bread of life. What a gracious God you are that unlike the bread that we see all around us, your bread is one that is graciously given, not by our works, not earned by us, but completely by the work of Jesus Christ who gives us life by giving his life. May Jesus be real to us each and every day. May we hunger for him in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.